our theme today is, is God enough? Pastor Noel will be taking us through uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8, where the people of Israel, through the prophet Samuel, ask God for a king. Samuel, their leader, is old, he's reaching his use by date. He's given his sons um, authority, but they're no hopers. And Israel are looking nervously over their shoulder, anticipating military action at any moment from their neighbours. They want a king like the other nations. In reality, their request is a rejection of God as their king. They doubt that God will be enough for them. Is God enough? It's a question we all have to face at some point, sometimes more than one, in our own faith journeys. So reading from Samuel chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. As Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. Joel and Abijah, his oldest sons, held court in Beersheba, but they were not like their father, for they were greedy for money. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. Finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you're old now and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they've continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they're giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. So Samuel passed on the Lord's warning to the people who were asking him for a king. This is how a king will reign over you, Samuel said. The king will draft your sons and assign them to his chariots and his charioteers, making them run before his chariots. Some will be generals and captains in his army. Some will be forced to plough his fields and harvest his crops and some, some will make his weapons and chariot equipment. The king will take your daughters from you and force them to cook and bake and make perfumes for him. He will take away the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his own officials. He will take a tenth of your grain and your grape harvest and distribute it among his officers and attendants. 
He will take your male and female slaves and demand the finest of your cattle and donkeys for his own use. He will demand a tenth of your flocks and you will be his slaves. When that day comes, you will beg for relief from this king you are demanding. But then the Lord will not help you. But the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, we still want a king, they said. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. So Samuel repeated to the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord replied, Do as they say and give them a king. Then Samuel agreed and sent the people home. And our second reading is just one verse from Matthew chapter 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Just realised there's a crack here on the lectern. Did Pastor Rolly get too passionate one day? I won't do that. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to hear from your word, my prayer is that your spirit would be abundantly present, uh, be present in my words, that they would be from you, that they would achieve your purpose, and present in our hearts as hearers, that we would hear this not just as information, but revelation and be transformed through it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the challenges you face when you write a sermon is that you can often draw out applications from the Bible reading that you're preaching on that you personally don't actually, as a preacher, have life experience in. Um, It's just the way it is. No one lives long enough to experience everything, and that's probably a very good thing. One of the things I regularly spoke on here in the previous church was about finding your identity and self-worth in who God declares you to be in Jesus. You know, in Jesus we are deeply loved and valued by God and this is not dependent on who you are or what you do. Your worth is because God says you're valuable. And it's a truth that, well, I'd applied to my life but it was limited. Well, since stopping work, I've had to apply this in a whole new way because um, God said, I'm going to really teach you this lesson, Noel, and I'm still learning it, I must admit. And what do I mean by that? Well, as you can imagine, going from working full-time, leading a large church with people around you all the time to a house husband where you're kind of alone a lot of the time, let's just say that's a massive adjustment on my part. And initially I thought, oh, it's great to have a rest. But after a while, a whole lot of thoughts and emotions came to the surface. 
Maybe those of you who've gone from working to retirement might say, yeah, I've experienced something similar. The questions I was facing was, who was I now that I didn't work as a pastor? What value did I have as a person now because I wasn't doing any ministry stuff that hopefully was helping people? Um, perhaps even more unsettling, if I was really honest with you, was the fear that I'd actually failed God because I'd left a role that he'd called me to years earlier. What did God think of me now? So no longer were these hypothetical questions about, you know, not needing to have a job to be feel valuable or worthwhile. These were real questions I had to face myself, and God was challenging me, you know. No, do you actually believe all those things you said to the people over the years? Do you believe that I love you and accept you because, Jesus is, because of what Jesus has done on the cross for you? Not because of what you do for me? Do you believe that you have value as a person and that it has nothing to do with what you can do or produce? Do you believe that I am enough for you? I think that's the big question we all face in our faith journey, and that is, is God enough? Is God enough to get me through this challenge before me or these feelings I've got? Or should I look for something else? And this was the question that the Israelites were wrestling with in our Bible reading today. Now, to be fair, they had a much bigger challenge than me. They were facing the imminent threat of the Ammonites who were going to invade them, which kind of puts my self-absorbed thoughts of self-worth and value in perspective. Now, being threatened by a neighbouring nation was nothing new, but it was on their minds because their leader, the prophet Samuel, who had successfully led them against challenges like this in the past, well, he's getting old and there was no suitable successor in sight. Uh, Samuel tried to pass the leadership onto his sons, but they were not Samuel in character or integrity. So the elders are right to be concerned about what are we going to do after Samuel dies? And if you know anything of the history of Israel up to this point, you see a pattern emerge where Israel is actually threatened, uh, oppressed, even enslaved, and then God rescues them by raising up a leader who delivers them. And you can actually trace that pattern right back to Moses, who delivers them out of the slavery in Egypt. So with Samuel's impending death, you think the natural question would be, who's God going to raise up this time? How's God going to come through for us? Or to frame it in the question I just asked, how is God going to be enough for us to deliver us from this threat of the Ammonites? Well, it doesn't seem to be their question, or if it is their question, they've answered no. You see, by what they ask Samuel, it shows that their answer to the question, is God enough to deliver us from the Ammonites, is actually no, we don't think he is. And I say this because of what they ask for, and it's my first point. When God is not enough, we add something. In verse 5, the Israelites say to Samuel, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. They doubt that God is going to come through for them again with a suitable leader. So they demand a king. 
And not just any old king, but a king like the other nations. When we doubt that God is enough for us in the situation that we're facing, and we're tempted to add something, we often look around the things around us, the wisdom of the world, to see what it might be that we can get from them, that we need to put in our lives to make up the shortfall. And so the Israelites looked around at the other nations and said, well, how do they deal with the constant threat of invading nations? They've got a king. That's what we need. Samuel, get us a king. Well, we do the same all the time. When we, when we doubt God is enough to meet our needs or to get us through a tough spot, we're tempted to add something. And often what we add isn't bad, but it's the way we use it or allow it to not just fill a gap, but to then take over. You know, when we doubt that God's plans and purposes are enough to satisfy us, we add the pursuit of a career or the accumulation of material possessions or the, or the accumulation of lots of pleasurable experiences or it can be a relationship and the list goes on. And these things aren't necessarily bad, but rather the way we use them in place of God to find our meaning and our purpose. And quite honestly, I was guilty of doing that with my work here as a pastor. To gauge my worth as a person rather than God. Whenever we doubt that God is enough, we're tempted to add something. So the question I ask is, where are you being challenged in your life at the moment where you feel like God's not coming through and you want to put something in God's place? How are you going with that? Are you being tempted to go, I think I need this instead of God? So what, hap what happens when we add something to God? Well, let's look at the following verse in our Bible reading from verse 6. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel... Listen to all that the people are saying. To, sorry, it's displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you they have rejected, but they've rejected me as their king. Israel's request for a king was actually rejection of God as their king. And that's the second point. When we add something to God, we reject him as our king. When we don't believe God is enough and we add something, we're not just filling a little hole or tacking a bit on the end. We're replacing him as the leader of our life. We're replacing him with whatever we think will do the job. And Israel was replacing God as king with an earthly king to rule them just like the other nations. Now, if you're actually familiar with what was written in the Bible earlier, about actually a promised king, you might be thinking, hang on, why is God so opposed to Israel asking for a king? In Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14, God says this through Moses. He says to the people, when you enter the land the Lord is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like all the other nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law 
It is to be with him and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees. So God's actually not opposed Israel having a king but rather opposed to the kind of the king they were asking for, one to rule them like the other nations. The king spoken about here in Deuteronomy is one who would actually take his lead from God, who himself would believe that God is enough. He would not be in place of God, but rather rule under God's authority. Now, this is not how the kings of the other nations ruled. In fact, some of them believed they were equal with God. And there's also a problem with why they're asking, the reason they're asking for a king. In verse 19, they say in response to God's warning about what a king would actually do to them, which I'll touch on in a moment, they say this, no, they said, we want a king over us. Then we'll be like the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. They thought, if we've got a king, the king will go out, fight the battles and protect us from our enemies. He will save us. My question is, isn't this what God was doing all along? Absolutely. Why would God suddenly change now? He wouldn't. God hadn't changed, but the Israelites had. They'd stopped believing that was God. God was enough, so they wanted a king. They added a king, and by doing so, they were replacing God as king. When we doubt God is enough and we add something to fill the gap, we're rejecting God as our king, and we're replacing him with whatever we've added. And it may not be that sort of blunt of transaction at the beginning. It's more like we allow it into our lives and bit by bit it catches our imagination, our attention, our time, our energy, and suddenly it's there in place. Jesus put it this way, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It can be money, it can be a career, it can be a relationship, it can be the pursuit of amazing experiences, it can be immersing ourselves in a hobby, it can be the things we look to for comfort and escape, it could even be like you know, food, alcohol, shopping, a whole, whole lot of things. Are there things in your life that are competing for God's place, that are pushing God out? Things that have taken over, really, the role of king. My question is, what do you believe those things will give you that God can't? That's a very important question to ponder and answer. Why? Because of the third point. When we add something to God, we lose what we hope to gain. The very thing you hope that you're going to get by having that in your life, when you put it there in place of God, you're going to lose what you hope to gain. Look at what Samuel says to the Israelites in verse 11 to 18. He's telling them what a king actually means for them. 
This is what the king who reigned over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, others to plough his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants." He'll take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He'll take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you've chosen. But the Lord will not answer you on that day. The Israelites thought, let's get a king, that'll ensure our freedom. Samuel makes it very clear that nothing is beyond the grasp of the king. Your children, your personal property, even your own freedom, kings take and take, and when it's all gone, they enforce you to serve them. And Samuel says, you yourselves will become his slaves. And to make matters worse, it says, when they cry out to God for relief from the king you've asked for, God will not answer you on that day. When we add something to God, Because we doubt he's enough, we lose what we hoped we would gain. Have the things that you've put in place of God given you what you'd hoped for? Or if you really are honest, you're still unsatisfied, restless, anxious, worried, maybe even disillusioned with life. So what can we do when God... We doubt that God is enough. We've got three things. First of all, remember. When you're faced with the question, is God enough, and you're tempted to grab hold of something other than God, stop and remember. Remember what God has done for you. Remember how God has come through for you in the past. In 1 Samuel 12, the Israelites and the new king recommit themselves to serving God wholeheartedly. And at the end of his speech, Samuel says this. He says, be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he's done for you. Consider what great things. That's remember. He's saying, remember that. That'll help you serve God wholeheartedly. Remember back, one of the first challenges I faced here when I took over as senior pastor was, we needed a whole lot of staff. And that was back in 2009, I worked out. We had a number of positions to fill, and after a couple of months of searching, nothing. And I had no idea where I was going to find staff. I'd I'd gone looking, and all my options were closed. And I remember praying to God, God, if you've called me to this role, I need staff. This church is too big to do it by myself. I'm desperate here, and I have no idea where they're going to come from. It was a prayer of a desperate man. It was kind of one of those prayers where you just go, help! Well, two days later after that desperate prayer, an email came out of nowhere from um, Dean Eaton, who some of you might remember, looking for a half-time position to supplement a half-time role he was doing at the time. Dean went on later to work full-time for two years, and he was an absolute godsend and blessing to us in that season of time at our church. But after that time, when I needed staff, because it continued, uh, and I started to panic, I would remember... I would remember and I would pray. When you're tempted God is not enough, to doubt God is not enough, remember. Remember how he's come through for you. Remember what he's done for you through Jesus. 
And the second thing, and I've already alluded to it, is pray. This is where the Israelites went wrong. Their concern over who would follow Samuel was actually very valid. However, instead of praying, they looked at the nations around them and said, oh, that's what we need to do. A much better way would have been to come to Samuel and say, hey, we're really concerned and we want to seek God on this. We, we, we think a king might be a good idea, but could we lay this before God and see what he's got to say about it? Do you pray first or do you make your plans and then pray for God to bless them? And the third thing is wait. Now, I was very blessed to have God answer that prayer in two days. Not fully, but he began answering it. But often God keeps us waiting, and believe me, he kept me waiting (laughs) in the subsequent years for staff. And if you're as impatient as me, you want to take matters into your own hands when God seems to be doing nothing. And yet, sometimes he calls us to wait. Is God making you wait for something? What do you do when God keeps you waiting? You keep praying. You keep remembering. Prayer is vital because sometimes I think God does say in the waiting, he's calling you to exercise initiative, God-given common sense, but that's got to flow out of prayer, not just your best thought on the day. So that's why waiting and praying is important. And you guys are in a season of waiting right now for your next pastor. Remember what God has done. Pray and wait. And while you're waiting, keep praying and keep remembering and keep waiting. It's not really in order, those three things. Just do them all. One of the confronting verses in today's reading is the one I briefly touched on earlier. It says, when that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you've chosen, but the Lord will not answer you on that day. Israel's demand for a king causes God not to respond to their cries for help. And we know from their history that in a sense they were handed over to their choices for a time. The reality is that when we replace God as king in our lives with something else, God doesn't stop us. He allows us to do that. He also allows the consequences of those choices to play themselves out in our lives. And he will allow us to experience the pain of those choices. And some of you might be in a place right now where You are, in a sense, in the mess of your own making. Does that mean God is mad at you? Does it mean that God has given up on you? Does it mean that God is punishing you? No, it doesn't. Just as God is enough to get you through any challenge in life, God's grace to you in Jesus is actually enough to bring you through the mess you might be in of your own making. The mess that you've caused by trying to replace God with something else. Yeah, God will allow you to suffer the pain of those choices, but not because he's spiteful, but rather he wants to get your attention, maybe even teach you something in that, but ultimately draw you back to his love and grace. God's grace is so great that it can reconfigure and redeem the biggest messes we find ourselves in. Look at what God does with Israel's sin of asking for a king and rejecting his authority. God forgives them. And then through Samuel, God gives them a king, King Saul. And then he gives the king and the people clear guidelines as to how this new institution of kingship can work in a way that will keep God king over them. Now, if you know the story, though, King Saul doesn't do that very well. And every subsequent king struggles with it. 
But God's grace is actually enough to take Israel's sinful choice to have a king and he reconfigures it into a saviour. You see, the institution of kingship paves the way for King David and his descendant, Jesus. In the hands of God, even our failures and tragic sinful choices can be completely remade into something new and redemptive. Look at Jesus' death on the cross. Yes, it was God's plan all along. But Jesus' crucifixion was the most hideous of sinful acts and God reconfigured it and he used it to be his ultimate act of forgiveness and redemption for humankind. God is enough for whatever you're facing right now. God's grace is enough to not only get you through the mess you've made for yourself, God's grace is enough to reconfigure it and redeem it so he can work something out of that situation for his purposes in your life and maybe the lives of others. Is God enough? Absolutely. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we reflect on what you have said to us through your word, we confess that we are no better than the Israelites. We've doubted that you are enough for us and we've grasped at things to fill what we believe is missing. In doing so, we've rejected you as our king and we have sinned. Have mercy on us and please forgive us for Jesus' sake. Help us to turn from our sin and to trust that you are more than enough for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I invite you to stand and respond to the message through singing.